and farm reports. Conducted live interviews regarding every event in the county. Did all the billing and bookkeeping. Paid the bills. And hosted Swap Shop, a local favorite on which listeners called in to buy, sell, or trade fresh eggs, car parts, even hunting dogs. The only other person involved in the day-to-day operation of KSET was Kyle Leander, Arthur's 25-year-old stepson. Kyle, who had discovered psychedelic drugs the year he flunked out of Yale, DJed an afternoon show he called Catharsis, during which he played acid rock, read excerpts from Carlos Castaneda, and quoted Timothy Leary. Arthur hated Catharsis just a little more than he hated Kyle. But it was Kyle's mother, Anne, a wealthy widow from Atlanta and Arthur's current wife, who had put up the money to buy KSET. And Kyle's job, which paid him 2500 a month, was part of the bargain. But Arthur didn't have to deal with Kyle on the day he broke the news of the discovery of the kidnapped child's pajama bottoms, because Kyle was in rehab, shipped off to a high-dollar clinic called Restoration in North Carolina to dry out again. And that suited Arthur just fine. He had the station all to himself, and filled the catharsis time slot with a live interview with O'Boy Daniels, who predicted the case would be solved within days, if not within hours. Until then, there'd been no real break in the crime. No fingerprints or tire tracks. No murder weapon. No strangers in town that anyone could remember. No clues at all as to who had killed the young woman and taken her little boy. But now, with something to go on, a pair of blue pajama pants with yellow ducks, the community roared into action. Hap Duchamp, President of the First National Bank offered a reward of $10,000 for information leading to a conviction. Matthew Donaldson, the fire chief, put out a call for volunteers, and for the next ten days, firemen, policemen, and too many civilians poured into Declare from all over the country. Four major search teams were formed, and by the end of the week, the hunt was going on 24 hours a day. Swanson's funeral home provided a tent under which the Declare Ladies Auxiliary set up tables, where they made sure food and drinks were always available to those in the search. Teve Harjo, whose husband Navy owned the local pool hall and booked sports bets, put herself in charge, making sure the ham sandwiches were fresh and the coffee pot was never empty. The churches of Declare organized round-the-clock prayer circles. Preachers used the tragedy as the theme for Sunday sermons, and for months afterwards, baptizings increased as did church memberships. But 1972, the year little Nicky Jack Harjo disappeared, was a long time ago, over a quarter of a century. And much had changed since then. Television news teams returned to declare occasionally in the intervening years, but only twice for major stories. They came back when an ice storm on the interstate caused a pileup of 13 cars that killed four teenagers on their way to a basketball game. Then again, to cover a triple homicide on Bodark Road, the result of a drug deal gone bad. But neither event brought Lantana Mitchell back to the community. After the old boy Daniels fiasco, which left her with a pregnancy she terminated with an abortion in Kansas City, she learned to use her looks and ambition with more discretion. Two years following her stint in Declare, she attended a media convention in Chicago where she met and charmed an executive with ABC. After Lantana nudged him into marriage, he made her anchor of the evening news in Los Angeles. The marriage didn't last, nor did the job, but a hefty divorce settlement allowed her to return to Tulsa 
where she wrote four nonfiction crime books, one of which was published. Oh Boy Daniels hit a rough patch in the early 80s when he nearly beat to death a county prisoner suspected by many in the community to be a pedophile, but who was most certainly going to get out of a conviction because of a legal technicality. Oh Boy claimed the prisoner was trying to escape, but the jury, even though they believed the child molester deserved a good beating, couldn't buy the lie because of the restrictions placed on them by the presiding judge. After serving two years at the state penitentiary, Oh Boy returned to Declare, opened a bait shop near the river, and moved back in with his wife, Carrie, the former cheerleader, and their disabled son, Kippy. Five years later, Oh Boy ran for sheriff and won, even though the law prohibited him, a convicted felon, from carrying a firearm. Apparently, the voters of Declare figured Oh Boy was tough enough that he didn't need a weapon. Arthur McFadden continued to operate the radio station after his wife divorced him and moved back to Atlanta. Arthur's only regret about the split was that the terms of the divorce left him stuck with Kyle Leander for as long as Kyle wanted to keep his job at the station, and Kyle had no intention of leaving. Hap Duchamp served as president of the First National Bank until 1980, when rumors began to circulate that he was a homosexual. He resigned before he was removed by the board of directors, and with the law degree he'd earned from Tulsa University 20 years earlier, he started his own small practice. Then, relieved of the pretense of being straight, he and his lover Matthew Donaldson, former fire chief, moved in together in an elegant A-frame they built in a wooded area near the river. Teve Harjo was still active in the ladies' auxiliary, but had less time to devote to the organization than she had years earlier. Her husband, Navy, had sneaked out of town one night, taking